0: Hello, Tracy. Welcome to the Love Intently Podcast. Hi, Sophie. (laughs) It is such a pleasure to have you. I feel like we've been trying to get you on the podcast for over a year now, and we're finally making it happen.
1: I know. I remember where I was when I first got your email, and I'm like, that was a long time ago. So here we are. Yes,
0: definitely. So, I think one thing that maybe people that mostly know you as a relationship expert don't know about you is that you had a very fruitful and flourishing career as a Hollywood writer. Mm -hmm. And I am just so curious as to what made you want to transition into diving in the world of love and relationships.
1: Well, that's so interesting because This is a classic case of your side hustle blows up. You know how they say your side hustle is always the thing that blows up. But it's more like I've always been having this conversation about relationships everywhere I go from a very young age. I mean, I would say certainly in college and the way I put it, someone brought a camera eventually that conversation got so big, someone brought a camera and now I'm having that conversation in front of a camera, but it's the same conversation that I've been having for, you know, 30 years. Mm. And that conversation came out of my own, um, struggles and challenges in this area. Um, I don't know. I have a way of talking about things where I'm constantly learning. So I think when I had a baby, I started getting into attachment. Because I realized like I had had such a crazy childhood. You know, I was a foster child. I was given up at a very young age. I lived in many, many homes and went back to my parents back and forth. You know, there were all sorts of experiences in there. And as I was going through the process of bonding with my baby, I started to learn about attachment. And then it's really just a hop, skip, and a jump before you start to apply those attachment concepts to your adult relationships. And then, of course, over the last, I don't know, five to seven years, there's so much new science on adult attachment, and it's just naturally progressed to a conversation that I think so many people are looking for something more, uh, a deeper understanding of their relationships than just what their girlfriends can give them or what they got on Sex in the City, you know?
0: Right. And I'm curious, when you learned about attachment, what did you identify with? Were you secure, anxious, or avoidant? Oh,
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know what? So I have a lot of my own thoughts about attachment just because of my own experiences. I, I suppose on a um, clinical standpoint, I started out in some ways disorganized But not as a fearful avoidant. Now I'm going to get into this. Let's just give the people listening a little bit of a thumbnail so that you know what I'm talking about. So there's basically four attachment styles, but really there's three, okay? But really there's two, okay? (laughs) So there's secure and there's insecure. And for insecure, there's three different kinds of insecure. Two of them are really common. So, and the third one is not very common at all. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But here's the deal. 50% of people are secure or exhibit secure attachment. That means 50% are insecure. Now, this is a really interesting thing. It means that if you're insecurely attached, you're actually not unusual. And there's a lot of thought about why this might be Some people think it's evolved, like we actually evolved a need for some avoidance and we evolved a need for some anxious, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's go back. So you've got insecure attachments. There's two basic kinds. There's the avoidant and there's the anxious. The avoidant in adulthood is called dismissing. The avoidant is basically almost every female protagonist you see on TV is an avoidant, right? An avoidant is like, I don't give a fuck. I'm over it. Never mind. Who needs that? You know, they're dismissing, right? If, the, if a feeling comes up, they're like, I didn't even feel it. It didn't even happen. Yep. Now, famous avoidance on TV would be like Samantha, So an avoidant can have a one-night stand. In fact, avoidant probably prefers a one-night stand. (laughs) Um, An avoidant does not want to get too close. Closeness is very scary to an avoidant because that's going to bring feelings, and feelings are super scary to avoidant. In fact, they're going to deny the existence of feelings most of the time. (laughs) That's why they're so successful in the world. Avoidants are running shit. That's what's great about being an avoidant. Those of us who are anxious, we wish we could be avoidants. We're like, how come I can't? just, you know, be so cavalier about everything, you know? (laughs) And of course, so then you've got your anxious. Anxious is, in adulthood, it's called preoccupied and and meshing. So an anxious is what no one wants to be. (laughs) Clingy, needy, fearful, uh, worried about abandonment, you know, really like Outwardly focused. They don't believe they can meet their own needs. They believe only someone else can meet their needs. Now, this goes all the way back to your earliest relationships with your parents, your caregivers. Essentially, an avoidant is created through a caregiver that is not able to consistently respond to them. In fact, they consistently do not respond. So the avoidant learns hey, why bother? I won't, because all babies have this thing called signal cry. Signal cry is like, I'm wet, I'm hungry, I'm this. They cry, right? And avoidant doesn't get the need met with fast enough, consistent enough, where they just go, you know what? Never mind. Self soothe. Yeah, they learn how to, well, I mean, it's a kind of a misnomer because they don't really self soothe. They just learn how to shut down the attachment system. And you see this when you're dating, and when somebody is you're dealing with them and they shut down the attachment system. Okay. I'm sure a lot of people are nodding right now Yeah, out there. <laughs> so what happens with the anxious is the anxious sometimes gets their needs met and sometimes they don't. So they learn to do signal cry all the damn time. Okay. And anxious is like, where all the time, <laughs> So basically, and here's, of course, the beauty of this is that the anxious and the avoidance find each other and they get into relationships and drive each other crazy. And there are ways to interrupt this process. And I would say that 90% of the work that I've done around relationships goes right at these dynamics between, because the secures, you guys, they meet in college they date, they get married, they're done. They're out of the dating pool. There's not another secure left mm-hmm. after the age of 35. <laughs> now I'm being glib, <laughs> but it's kind of true. Yeah, it kind of is. It's kind of true. You know? And the other thing is secures do not move to New York and LA or Seattle, San Francisco. They don't move to those places because they like where they are. They like their people. They would, they are like, I'm secure. Why would I leave? What do I need to find in New York? What's going to be in New York? They know nothing's in New York. (laughs) Just a lot of insecure attachment and people chasing things that they think are going to fulfill that need. A secure is like totally fine in Mm -hmm. Columbus where I am as we speak. (laughs) So as we go through the thing, now here's the thing, you're not doomed. You can do what's called earned secure. I always describe earned secure as you move to France, you learn French. You learn French really, really well. Maybe you um, still dream in English sometimes. Maybe when you're like really hungry or really stressed, you you go back to English. But for the most part, you speak French now, and that and it's maybe not native to you ever. It won't ever be native, but it you are very conversant in it. And I would say that's where I am. I'm in earned secure 90% of the time. And the other 10% of the time I can, I know what secure is. And I take that action because if you take a secure action, you will be injecting secure into your relationship. If you take an insecure action, you will be injecting insecure into your relationship whether it's the avoidant kind or the anxious kind. So if you want to look at what you've been injecting into your relationship, just take a look at it. Are the people in there feeling secure? Then that's basically what you're putting in. So um, long way of saying, and then last but not least, I will say, I have noticed this is, can be quite complicated. For example, for whatever reason, I would say I'm avoidantly attached to women and anxiously attached to men. Interesting. In love relationships. Yeah. But in friendships, like as soon as the friend is like, why aren't you calling me more? I'll be like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really understand what it feels like to be an avoidant because I know certain kinds of clingy friends who are really upset, like that I didn't call them or whatever. And I'll just be like, oh, what? Oh my God. I'm dying. <laughs> I got to get out of here. So that was a long ass explanation, but that's it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. And I am also an earned secure. And I mean, I'm obsessed with the attachment style. It was something that massively transformed my life and dating life. Yeah, um, And it's something that I use a lot with my clients as well. And one thing that I'm curious on your take on is I get this you know, people are constantly sending me DMs and stuff asking the question of how do I know if they're the one or how do I know if it's my avoidant attachment style being triggered?
1: Mm. And so
0: I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. And- The thing that I've heard in the industry is there are some of those dating coaches out there that are like, only go for your 100% like, fuck yes person. And if they aren't that, and if they don't fit your checklist, then they're not for you. Right. And for me, it makes me pause a little because according to relationship science, we attract what we need healing from. Agree. So what's your take on it?
1: So this is such an interesting question. And you're right. There's a lot of just like, people hypothesizing out there. I heard somebody say, you'll, okay, this was to men though. Okay. Mm -hmm. You'll know when she's the one because you will feel confronted, right? You will feel confronted. And what did they say? Um, And this sounded right to me. Like you will be scared. You will be jolted. You will be like, whoa, this is a whole other thing. And I forget the other thing that he said, so I'm not a lot of help there. But I do, I do thought that, I thought that was interesting. Um, The one for me is not that simple. I would say, I'm going to say my relationship journey, I'll just speak for myself, has been a little more of a relay, relay race, right? So the one is the one that's getting me to the next one. And then maybe one day I'm going to be done. That's how I look at it. Like, so I always say my joke answer, and I said this, I say this, I've been saying this for a while, but it it encapsulates something about me, is that I'm going to be lying on my deathbed holding the hand of my new boyfriend. (laughs) 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 Like, everybody meet so-and-so, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm out of here. Okay. But what that encapsulates about me is that there is actually a part of me that could just go all the way until the end. So the one is going to be when I stop with my bullshit, basically. (laughs) Now, how do you get to the place when you stop? So that's what I kind of came to was like, Oh, Tracy, you're just going to keep doing this and you have just enough game that you're that lady who will be, you know, 84 in the wheelchair going, (laughs) you know, we're in love or whatever. And that is not what I want. That is not what I want. So I feel like my real journey to the one has been acknowledging that truth about myself. Now, what did that do? What it did is it got me real honest about every relationship I'm in. Now, I'm not a person who wants to spend years alone. I'm not. And when people say being in a bad relationship is better than being alone, I don't know if that's true, actually. I, d- I have not lived that principle because I've been in some not-so-great relationships that nevertheless taught me what I needed to know to get to the next best relationship. So I sort of trust my path. I trust my journey. I say a lot of yes. Like when people have come into my world, I've said yes to them. And I have trusted that that relationship will end when that relationship's time is over. And it's not about me calling the shots because there are times when things ended before I wanted them to end. And there are times when things ended after I thought they should end. But it wasn't really about, I'm, I'm much more concerned about that willful part of myself that is like going, I'm done with this. Okay. I am much more worried about ego running the show or fear running the show, or as you said, avoidance running the show. than I am about sort of being in a relationship with myself. That's more um, with my head bowed going, show me what it is that I'm supposed to do here. Take it away when the time is done, leave it if it's supposed to be here. And just interface with something greater than self when it comes to my relationships, because I see my relationships as a spiritual path.
0: Wow, yeah. And I think another thing that was really beautiful about what you shared is it sounds like you have a lot of built self-trust and self-love and you trust yourself to make the best decision when it arises.
1: That's right. And part of making the best decision is to not, like I remember when I was in 10th grade and they were like, oh, these teeth need to come out even though, cause I had these baby teeth cause I was very slow to mature. <laughs> so I have these baby on every level. I had these baby teeth. So they pull out the baby teeth. Well, there's no teeth under there. You know what I mean? If there were teeth under there, the other teeth would have fallen out. So we didn't need to run around pulling teeth out. That's kind of how I feel. Like I trust that the, the thing in me, here's my other metaphor for this. This is such a powerful metaphor. So when I was taking childbirth classes that many years ago, 24 years ago, I learned that the baby starts the labor because the baby excretes a thing, a hormone out of their top of their head, pitocin or whatever it is. And that's what starts the labor, not the mother. The baby decides when the baby's coming. So I just took that as a metaphor for life. Life decides when life is coming in a big way. I do not decide. Even though I have all this power to respond, I have all this choice, but I don't have like infinite choice. Even though paradoxically, I do have infinite choice. So to me, it's like getting in alignment with what is highest in yourself. And the more you are in alignment with that, the smoother And the more ordained or divine or magic, whatever word you want to use, these connections, the way your life unfolds according to something higher, if that makes sense. And so uh, now I will say something about the relationship I'm currently in (laughs) (laughs) because I am in a relationship with someone that I met on a plane. So I was the last person on? I took my seat. And that became my future. Almost a year later. Wow. But you can't pick that. You couldn't say, Oh, I'm gonna meet somebody on the plane that could only happen. And then you could only say yes to it and align yourself with it. But I feel like I'm in a place in my life where these are the kinds of things that happen. And if I were to lay out the entire story for you, you would see a combination of sort of magic things and bold moves where I confronted who I think I am, how I've been up till now. And I became willing to grow in ways that could not have been predicted by me literally up to the moment I did, I, I took the action pretty much.
0: Wow. What is the, one of the greatest lessons you've learned from meeting this man on the plane?
1: Um, So many great lessons. Um, I would say, I mean, this is the scariest lesson, but probably also the truest and best is that I had to throw out, kind of every single thing I've ever said as a relationship expert. What? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's like, because I've had a lot of ideas about that you have to let the game come to you. Mm. Right? And you do. I do not pursue men. Period. Like, period. (laughs) However... I and I didn't pursue, I would say I've never pursued, but what I did do is I did state my position. Like, I'm here and in a way that I would have never done before because it made me very, very vulnerable. I had a tendency in relationships to stand on the two yard line and choose from whoever ran across the 98 yards to come get me and commit on day one. That was my deal. I'm like, if you're not running 98 yards to get me, and saying, "Okay, I'm totally in on day one. I'm probably not in a relationship with you. And what I have learned in this relationship, I've done that. It's been nothing like that. I stood on the fifty yard line. There was a long period of time where I did not, you know, where I lived in the uncertainty about what the whether there was going to be a commitment there. Um, none of those things did I have enough like air in my mattress, <laughs> you know, personally to be able to." Li, you know walk myself through that and I would say that's probably the biggest thing the other biggest thing I would say and this sort of happened in there was a More brief relationship before this one And then I had a long-term almost six-year relationship before that I learned that you need to state your life project You need to say here's where I am in my life. It, it doesn't it has nothing to do with them. It's just about being revealing and being intimate about who you are and where you are because the thing is is when you reveal your life project and you say okay my life project is family belonging grandchildren christmas traditions this is where i'm at in my life i want something real and something durable it does not have to come from you i'm not asking that for that from you i'm simply saying this is my location on the gps of life and when you tell people that you know i never used to tell people that I would either be too, uh, I wasn't too specific. I tended to be vague and I would not tell them that because I thought if I tell them that, then they're going to go away. And indeed there was a relationship where I told them my life project and where I was in my life and they went away and that's as it should be. That's what I learned. Mm-hmm. You kind of want them mm-hmm. to go away, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? even though it was painful, um, but then, in, but whatever security you get in a relationship often comes from the fact that you know that you're being so honest. So either they're down with what it is that you're saying, or they're in some sort of deep lie with themselves. And most people are not going to stay in that kind of cognitive dissonance with you. They're going to leave. I mean, certainly, unless they're old, you know, under the age of like 27, most people are not interested in being in a relationship where you want something very different from what they want. That's not what most people do. Most people are like, ooh, that's what you want? And I don't want that. Okay, got to go. And, you know, namaste.
0: Right. And it's such a great filter when you allow yourself to be secure and show up fully as yourself rather than pretending what you think the other person wants you to be so that they'll like you and accept you. And then you have a thought of like, I'll just change their mind on what they want.
1: Oh, Totally.
0: Or I'll sacrifice what I want for what they want, which is not a great ground for a healthy relationship. (laughs) Or
1: not telling them what you want. Because I think most people would say, well, I show up as myself. But if you're sort of like holding certain cards back because you're afraid that if I say I want, you know, whatever, marriage and children or whatever, I'm going to scare them away And that is true. You don't have to come out with that like right off the bat. It's not about that. And I actually think it's, it's not about the specifics. It's about the bigger arcs, you know? It's like, what do you want your life to be about, you know? Like I have ideas about like what a couple is. For me, a couple is not about like you and I just, you know, being in a relationship like getting things from each other to me the couple is it's about it's an analog to the secure attachment why do we want secure attachments so that we can go explore the world so to me the reason you have a solid couple with a firm commitment is not because i'm trying to lock you down it's because then we can both take this thing this energy that we have that's secure and go do good things in the world with it you know it's like how do we use this couple energy to contribute and to set people free and to light up our little corner of the world. That is what it's about. It's not about, and I was interested in people who were interested in that, you know, that's the kind of stuff I mean, when you're talking about like, what's your life project. It's like, see if somebody resonates with your vision for your life and your vision of life, you know, it's not even about the specifics. It's kind of bigger than that.
0: Yeah. And I feel like what you just described is also another opportunity of choosing love over fear. Like when you go at it and cho- as choosing a vision or sharing your vision and being vulnerable enough and seeing if they match, then you're not choosing from a place of, well, I don't want to be alone or I I don't want to be tied down. I know for a lot of people that are hesitant to be in a relationship, like they're afraid of losing their independence. But when you're in a healthy relationship where you're choosing love over fear, there's so much freedom
1: in that. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, which brings us back to so in adult attachment, secure is called free and autonomous. So, I just look around and myself and other people, and I'm like, are we doing free and autonomous right now or are we doing preoccupied and enmeshed or are we doing dismissing? Right. And you can just see when you just narrow it down to those three concepts, you can see very clearly if someone, so let's take the idea of like, here's a very common relationship idea. You should know how I feel about blank and not make me feel blank. Right. You should know that's going to hurt my feelings. You should not hurt my feelings, okay? That's an enmeshed and preoccupied statement, right? a free and autonomous statement would be, I understand that you're just doing your life, and then I experienced some pain as a result of you doing your life, and you get to do your life, and I'm wondering if from a free place you could choose to keep me in mind. Right. Not from a place of you should do this, like we're in mesh, we're in a potato sack, you can't get out. (laughs) Every decision and thought you have needs to have me in mind. In other words, the preoccupied, you know, or the dismissing is I do what I want. I don't have to think about you at all. So either one of those is not going to be a secure place to live. And part of knowing whether a relationship is secure or insecure is how does it feel to be in it and how does it feel to be around it? the people around you know the tone of your relationship they do they may not know what they're looking at but they know how it feels to be around your couple and that's a great mirror to to inquire like like is there tension here do we feel tension or another version of it is where people are like yeah we don't really feel it we're not we don't really i don't really get it like a lot of times something can even look really great, but it doesn't feel really great. That's the difference. It can't be that you're going for the structure of a relationship. It has to be, there's a tone and that is attachment. Attachment has is a tone.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. And I've never heard of attachment as a tone. So what is an example of a tone of something that is securely attached versus insecurely
1: attached. So we'll go back to the free and autonomous. So secure feels free. They are free with each other. No one's on eggshells. There's no tension. No one's afraid, right? You don't feel afraid around them. You don't feel tension around them. No one's holding their breath. It's like they are free. They can go talk to other people. They can go off for the day. They can, (laughs) there's autonomy. So a lot of times when people say, I need space, I think what they really mean is I need autonomy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's like the difference between space and autonomy is space is um, geographic. It's a location and you could have lots of space, but have very little autonomy. And in fact, autonomy so autonomy is the sense that you can move at will, that you are unencumbered, not unattached, but that it's like you don't have a leash on, right? There's no leash in autonomy. You're standing next to somebody because you want to stand there, not because they need you to stand there or they will be mad if you don't or because you're afraid if you don't. You, you're standing there because you chose to stand there. So I think what happens is oftentimes when people need a lot of space, it means they don't, they aren't getting autonomy or they don't know how to experience autonomy because there's two parts to it. When people are raised in families that are very enmeshed or even a little bit of enmeshment, they automatically feel like I have to do this or the other people will feel that. It doesn't matter what, angry, upset, hurt, whatever. It could be, if I do this, then they feel that. That is a preoccupied and enmeshed position. And when people grew up in that, they have a tendency oftentimes to either repeat that or want a lot of space. In other words, being avoidant. So um, secure relationships feel free. You know, you feel free around them and they feel free in them.
0: Wow. So, how do you? if you grew up in an enmeshed environment and you're finding yourself in this place of like i'm one of those people who don't know how to experience autonomy how do you start to unravel that
1: oh yeah that's a big thing cuz at first <laughs> you're like a goldfish and you'll be like what water okay like whatever you're in it's as though you you would not know it at first A lot of times people don't know it until they encounter a person who doesn't operate in that system. But it's hard to encounter a person who doesn't operate in that system because we have a tendency to feel like, what is this strange thing? I don't resonate with this and move on like in a dating situation. A lot of times, you know, you'll have girlfriends who, whether they're anxious or avoidant, they pick the same thing over and over. This is guys too. I'm just talking girlfriends because that's who I talk to. And you give that anxious girlfriend a secure guy, and she's gonna be like, Oh, ho oh, hum, he's boring. Because there's nothing that is a there's nothing in there that's matching the inner template of family and familiar. It's unfamiliar. So sometimes people have to just be uncomfortable with this new kind of person now as you do your work more and more which is to say you start making all this stuff conscious you start to notice it all you do at first is name it like oh oh I'm seeing oh look there was a piece now the it's kind of like an archaeological dig at first you find a cup handle and then you keep going and pretty soon you're like oh my god there's a whole fucking city down here Mm But that's fine, because this is the work of a lifetime. It truly is. It's not like we get done with this. Um, And many of the things that we're going to be uncovering in this archaeological dig are generational. Like they're literally layer upon layer of things handed down, ways of being in our family systems that created a certain kind of mother, that created a certain kind of child, that created a certain kind of father, that created a certain kind of child, and so on. So how do you start? You start with awareness. It always is going to start with awareness. So how do I get to awareness? Sometimes my awareness is like a prayer. It's like this. Dear universe, please make me aware. (laughs) Dear universe, please show me what it is I need to see. Now, when you're moving through life with the idea of please show me what it is I need to see, you will be shown, you know? (laughs) Like they say, don't worry about getting in touch with your feelings because your feelings are going to get in touch with you. It's like, don't worry about getting in touch with your patterns because your patterns are going to get in touch with you, you know, and that's a good thing. So that would be the beginning of it. Then as you start to do it, you start to make new choices. So if you always make the choice of distancing, you're going to start to make a choice of staying close, even though your mind is going to be producing a lot of distancing type commands or thoughts. And if you're an avoidant or an anxious, your mind is going to be telling you, you really need this person to text you faster. You really need this person to reassure you a bunch. And maybe you could go without that. Cause every time you put that into the relationship, you're putting in another bit of insecure unless you're doing it in a super conscious way and the other person is also very much on board with it, you know, and that you find somebody eventually who is working also to grow in ways that match the ways you're trying to grow. And then you guys do it together. But even then the gears are going to grind sometimes, you know, it's, it's a very slow, I think of it as um, my invisible line, you know, there's like, 26 Invisalign trays it is not happening overnight folks (laughs) and you know you're gonna forget to wear it a lot and you're gonna get lazy and you're gonna lose one and so you know I I was when I first got my Invisalign I'm like how long is this gonna take and they're like six months now that was like a year and a half ago (laughs) so I would say it's something like that you know
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, for those, uh, the people that want to be in a relationship or want to be married, one column or piece of writing that I remember being first introduced to you by was your piece on HuffPost of why you're not married yet. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you think people aren't married if they want to be?
1: Well... I mean, mostly it's an attachment thing generally, but I, but I'm going to say when you are really ready, it happens. Mm. Like, again, I go from a spiritual standpoint, so we can say like, but there's nobody in my town, you know, or I'm too old or whatever. I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in any of that. And so what I started to do, and I, I did this in my Hollywood career too, because I didn't start my Hollywood career, and, I, and we can't even barely talk about that, but I didn't really start my Hollywood career until I was like 42. I was 42. I'm a woman of color. I went to the university of not a very important state. <laughs> <laughs> like There's nothing to say that they're going to let me have a Hollywood writing career. Nothing at all. But I was willing. And when you're willing, mountains move. I totally believe that. Not only do I believe it, I know it. My life is a demonstration of that idea on so many levels. And then sometimes when you're trying to do something in your life that you haven't done yet, like have a successful relationship, what you're really up against is your own collapsing, like your own disbelief that it can happen is so much bigger than whatever assholes are in the dating pool or however few securely attached people are out there. That is not your actual problem 99% of the time. I would say usually people aren't married because there's something going on inside of them where they are not open to it or not ready. And then once they address that, the Red Seas part and miracles. I'm going to use that word. Like you will sit next to somebody on a plane. Now I'm not saying like, Oh, I have it all wired. Cause I think you can be in a re- great relationship and still wonder, is this going to last? You know, mm. if you're me, if you're <laughs> anxious, for sure, that is something you are going. I don't know that that's ever going to go away for me. Honestly, that's the, That's the French accent. You know what I mean? That's the accent. I'm not sure it's ever going to go away completely. I'm not looking for it to go away completely. I'm looking to do a a secure attachment practice.
0: Right. And it's about how many times you allow yourself to go down that roller coaster and consistently choosing to inject secure actions into your relationship.
1: Yes. As opposed to wanting the other person to do it.
0: Mm. What I love about what you share around like it that it's a spiritual experience and that when you I think like the way that I see it is like when you let down your ego and you are open to growing you are open to receiving I think that's such a hard thing to do if you aren't shown examples of what receiving looks like yeah there could be love all around you or people interested and you just push it away because it makes you vulnerable to receive
1: oh yeah yeah When you say about like, what does it feel like to receive? It's excruciating. That's the answer. You know, (laughs) it's like, it's what I've discovered both in my Hollywood career and in my relationship realm is getting what you want is 3000 times scarier than not getting it because not getting it allows you to stay in a fantasy that you would feel oneness and fantastic if you got it. Wow. Getting it, you realize, oh my God, now I'm just me with it. You know what I mean? And I'm still working my way even more. It's a thousand times scarier to be with someone you really want than to be with the guy that you're like, oh yeah, this is doomed. Being with the doomed in the doomed relationship is actually sort of easy compared to (laughs) Right? Yes, people don't get that. People do not get that unless you're secure, in which case that's a whole other world that they're in. But if you come from the insecure side, getting into a relationship you want to be in is a million times scarier than being in a relationship with somebody where you're either imagining there's someone better or um, knowing there's a statute of limitations on this thing.
0: Yeah. On a human psychology level, even, it's like your brain is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never seen this happen before. Are we sure it's safe? Do we know how to navigate this? Versus if you just are repeating old relationship patterns that you've already experienced or seen, then your brain's like, yeah, this sucks, but I know exactly what to do and I know what to expect and I know how to make myself safe here.
1: Yeah. So interesting. And I've heard a lot of friends who, after many years of being one way in relationships, really did get into a meaningful, viable relationship, and they really all describe the same thing, which is a fairly long period. It it did not go away really fast. It took time. Mm -hmm. You're nodding. Would you say that's true?
0: Yeah. I would say it's still taking time.
1: How long have you been in your relationship?
0: This one has been
1: two and a half years. Oh, that's a long time. I'd like to think. <laughs> I'd like to think at two and a half years, I'll be all set. Oh, definitely
0: not. I oh, think. Shoot.
1: <laughs> well, I. You've been in longer relationships. Yeah, since. but not ones that I really wanted to be in. Mm. That's the difference. I've never really been in a relationship that I really wanted to be in. Wow. Not really. I mean, I've been in relationships I wanted to be in with a want, but they were had the statute of limitations on them. And I knew it.
0: And do you think it's because you weren't allowing
1: yourself to
0: be in the ones that you actually wanted? Or did yes. you just have? Um...
1: But it was unconscious. Wow. Yeah, I could have not. I wouldn't have felt worthy. I wouldn't have felt worthy.
0: And are you in one that you want to be in now? Yes. And is it terrifying?
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. I have a good practice, though. It's just yoga. You're just like Chaturanga again, you know? Yes. (laughs) But, yeah, I was not able to do that before. That's what became really, really clear is that that's not something I would have been able to do I, I, on so many levels. And it's not like I have figured it all out. I haven't. But I do know. I would not, it would have been unconscious. I would, if you would have asked me with a clipboard outside Trader Joe's, hey, do you want to be in a relationship you really want to be in? I'd be like, yes. But Duh. the fact that I was, <laughs> yes. And the fact that I wasn't so consistently though for so many years tells me at some level I actually was not willing, was not ready, did not think I was worthy. You know, must it must be, it must be.
0: Yo, did something shift for you? Before the plane ride?
1: I think it's been a long shift. So I had my third marriage. It ended in 2005. And for 16 years, I did not live with anyone. I did not even live with anyone because I knew I needed to start from scratch. I just basically started over. In my relationship arc. And I did, you know, I was in, you know, I was in like three different relationships. None of them was I, I knew the whole time. No. I thought maybe it would change. I think one thing I learned in this last round is that And I'm, I wouldn't know if this is a theory full, full stop, but it's basically, I'm working with the idea that a relationship has a DNA. It is what it is from day one, from moment one, there's a quickening, you know, and whatever that DNA is, it's, that's what the relationship is. That's sort of what I learned over those years. Over those 16 years. Because I would be in there going, well, we'll go to therapy. Maybe it will change. And nothing ever changed. I mean, if it, you know, like if it was a a DNA, it never changed from a redhead into um, dark curly hair. (laughs) It It was just a bigger redhead, a different redhead, a redhead in a different location. It was what it was, is what I'm trying to say. And I did not know that. I thought you could change it from now I'm going to mix up my metaphors, from a dog into a turtle, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, I couldn't. It was just a, a slightly less rabid dog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's super interesting about that analogy, and I'm curious if you agree, I wonder, you know, like, if it's a redhead, but you can't change that they're a redhead, but you could work out more together and it becomes a healthier redhead. Or, or well, like, they're like... Well,
1: I guess what I'm saying is, like, it's not them. It's the relationship.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: So I used to think it was them. Right. And I know this from my work on the show, family or fiance, 99% of the time people come in because they want their partner to hear something. That's how they come on the show. Cause we want to fix them. We want that partner to hear something that you've been trying to tell them, but that you're hoping, well, I they're not listening to me, but maybe they'll listen to Tracy McMillan. If there's a, you know, if we're on TV, And sometimes they do a little bit, but that doesn't change the nature of their relationship because relationships have dynamics. I really think this is the truth now because it's like your interaction with a person and by interaction, I mean, chemical interaction and generational interaction and astrological and, you know. Um, attachment interaction with somebody is what it is. You cannot change the basic structure of what it is. And some of them, here's the, can I tell you the number one thing I'm now looking for and that I feel that I have in this relationship. That's so interesting because my last relationship was almost six years. We went to different therapists, three different therapists nothing changed it. And I finally got that. Oh, it's not changing, right? Here's the thing I'm now looking for and that I would tell people to look for. You're looking for grace. You're going to be you. They're going to be them. You're looking for that person who, for some reason, they're them doesn't bug you. You're like, yeah, I see you're like that. And you know what? I'm okay with it. Because I think what happens is I've been in relationships where the certain aspects of me is just grinds on these other aspects of them. And somehow where I am now, these certain aspects of me are appreciated. And the person's like, yeah, I see that you're like that. And it's like, it's fine. Doesn't bother me. And you're like, (gasps) oh. That doesn't bother you? That's the thing so-and-so hated about me the most and could not tolerate. So I remember one time, the relationship I'm in, the guy says, I'm, I have a hard time imagining you being different in any other relationship. And I said, you know what? I wasn't different. I was just like this. But our interaction, the way he experienced me, and this goes to our histories, and this goes to our unconscious stuff and our implicit memory, right? The way he experienced me was so effing painful for him where my current person does not experience me that way because he doesn't have that history and it doesn't land on him in that way. And that's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for where you're just, you still, you haven't changed. You don't need to change. Now, if you're already in it and you've, you know, you're in one of these things and you guys grind, uh, that is hard. People have to work that out. But to me, the real thing that makes a relationship kind of work easily is the grace piece.
0: Mm, yes, grace makes everything work so much easier. hmm So talk to me about family or fiancé. What's the general premise of the show?
1: So family or fiancé is a relationship reality show and family reality show about couples who want to get married their their families are against it and everybody moves into a house for 3 days and they work it out and they the goal is to get 6 blessings one from each family member at the end of the 3 days now i always say the most famous episode the world's most famous episode of family or fiance is Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. (laughs) It's like, that is just family or fiance, basically, you know, and he chose fiance, which is, by the way, what you have to do in a secure functioning relationship, partners have to choose each other. You cannot like put your family first and think that your relationship's going to be secure functioning. It won't be. So it's really everything we're talking about because so much of, sometimes there's relationship issues inside the couple. And sometimes the issues are inside the family or between the family and the couple. Um, We figure that out pretty quick. But oftentimes the family sees something going on inside the couple that the couple doesn't want to acknowledge. That's very common. Um, Sometimes the couples see it also and they have grace and they're like, I'm okay with it. Um, Sometimes they're in codependency and they're like, I'm okay with it. Like, I just don't want to look, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But the probably the most interesting thing is how much healing takes place, in part because so much relationship issues actually originate in our families. So when you get the cause and the effect in the same house for three days, a lot of good can happen. A lot of healing can happen.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And that's such a tough spot to be in feeling like your family disapproves of your significant other. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people that are currently navigating that?
1: Well, I would say it's, it's really about, first of all, making sure that your partner knows that you're choosing them and they're your priority. And if they're not, you have to look, search your heart, you know, can you, and I ask every couple, can you move forward with this relationship if you don't get the blessings? Some couples can, you know, Harry was like, yes, I can, but I'm going to leave and go to California. Um, I think what you have to do is go to the family and say, what is the issue here? Like, what would need to change for you to feel okay? Now, sometimes families have issues with things going on in the relationship that are very legit, like they see abuses or they see things that aren't don't rise to the level of abuse, but are still dysfunctional. If that's the case, then I would say you need to look at that, you know, because families are good mirrors in some ways for what goes on in our relationships. Other times it'll be an issue going on in the family. For example, like the mother doesn't want to let go. She's number one for her son or her daughter. And this marriage is threatening her position. Well, then mom has work to do, you know, because mom cannot expect that you're not going to grow up and go start your own life and your own family. That's not reasonable. So it really just depends on the specific circumstances, but it all starts with being very, very radically honest about what's going on. Um, the other thing I see is that people think if they don't say the whole truth, they can keep the peace. But in fact, you don't really keep the peace. You just sort of um, create the conditions for suffering. Right. If, and telling the truth creates a, a, it'll be a storm at first, but things find their right place from the truth. When you're controlling it, they don't find their right place. Everybody's just low key miserable.
0: Right. It's like when people trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction, when they avoid telling the truth or avoid conflict.
1: Yes. Avoiding conflict is never a good idea.
0: Mm-mm, which I feel like that happens in families more than anywhere else.
1: Yeah, of course. Because you think, well, if I say this thing and it turns out badly, I can't get away from this person. So I should just not say it, you know?
0: Right. What happens typically after the show? Do the couples typically take your advice? What type of transformation have you seen happen?
1: Well, I think different things happen. Sometimes the couple... um, we plant a seed that grows and it can grow toward apartness or it can grow toward togetherness. That's going to be a lot about the DNA of that couple and the, you know, the structure of the relationship. A lot of times couples come in, there's just one little thing that needs to get resolved, and, but they're basically secure functioning. Um, other times the couple has deep insecure functioning and there's a lot of work that needs to be done to bring it to secure functioning. So it just kind of depends. There are couples who break up in the course of the three days. And I'm going to say there's another group that breaks up when they go home. Um, there's a group that gets amazing healing in the three days. And there's another group that gets amazing healing after they go home. So I think it's like. It's just once you reveal things, you never can put the cat back in the bag. That's part of why people don't reveal stuff. But that's also a great advantage because you want to align yourself with what is highest. And what is highest is always going to be like the truth. And you, can, you don't have to trust yourself to manage and control everything. You'd say the truth and then allow something higher in everyone to come to come forward. And that is often what happens.
0: Mm, what's something that you have learned from doing the show
1: oh i learned something from every couple in fact they all have the very first day they come in and they sit down and before they walk in i'm always like all right what am i going to see about my own life this time <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be amazing sometimes i'll be like damn did you guys come here for me i don't say that to them but i'll be thinking it i'll be like wow you know i want to say one of the most profound episodes for me was in season one toward the end and it was a young woman who had a lot of my same things she had been given up by her mom at a certain point and so she had a lot of my same sort of abandonment anxious type stuff and she had met this guy and he was young but extremely upstanding like this young man he was probably 28 was just a rock, but he wasn't like that when she met him when she met him He was young had never really had a long-term girlfriend His family was like you can't be with the first woman that you have ever been in a long-term relationship with But the truth was they had bonded and she had stood in her whatever Through the years they'd been together quite a few years before he made this commitment to get married And there was something about their arc, his deep, like he was just so high integrity and the process of working their way into it. She had, you could tell had gone through a lot of uncertainty to get there and somehow here they were. And he was so deeply committed to her. And I remember thinking if she can get there, I can get there. Wow this is like two this is twenty nineteen this is like two years ago, and I was so moved by her story, and then uh, there was a scene with her mom where she said to her mom, "Why did you give me up?" and it was so powerful for me to witness because my mom has had died. I never got to have that moment, but seeing her have it was like catharsis for me. And seeing where she came to within the relationship, I'm like, that's what I'm looking for. That level of rock solid, high integrity, he was there. And I was just like, damn, it could be like that. So I can't, you know, what's so crazy is I cannot remember their names (laughs) because we've done 45 (laughs) couples, but I remember their faces and I remember their tone and I'm like that's what I that is what it looks like folks.
0: Wow, that's so powerful and I feel like it's one of those things where until you see an example of what's possible you just don't know. Mhm. And sometimes it's hard to even be able to get to a point where you get to see other types of couples because you're surrounded in your own bubble. And I that's what I love about hearing about shows like this is that it exposes people to different types of dynamics and relationships
1: and how people are solving and creating and not solving their problems, you know, and you get to identify, there's no way you don't identify watching my show. Um, my dear boyfriend had a very adorable and a a party for me for the premiere, which is not the kind of thing I've ever really done. Not my style. I'm kind of like, oh, whatever. And he even had family or fiance cookies made. And I was just like, this is so over and above. I couldn't even believe it. I was just like, what? (laughs) And all these people came to watch the show. And, you know, no one doesn't love this show. You're watching it, you're just like in it from minute one because we all identify with somebody in the show a sister, a brother, a mom, the couple, you know. So, the show is just incredibly good and and engrossing, and healing happens, and it's really powerful. And it's been a real blessing to work on.
0: Mm, Yes. So, where can people
1: find the show? The show streams on Discovery Plus. Um, It's a new episode every Saturday. The episodes are live Saturday nights, 9 central, 10 eastern, and Pacific on Oprah Winfrey Network, which is own um, Discovery, which is Discovery Network. Uh, it's on your cable or or stream it. Streaming is the easiest thing, you know? So yeah, it's there. And you can even go back and watch season one. And there's lots of good episodes there too.
0: Love it. Yes, everyone go check that out.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: One thing that I love to live by is that your the quality of your life is based on the quality of your questions. So I'm curious for you, you get asked, about relationships all of the time, but I'm wondering if there is a question that you wish people asked more or think people should be asking.
1: Well, I'm going to say the question people need to be asking is what is my part in this? How am I creating this? Because, you know, I see people around me. I'm at an age where a lot of people are, you know, I wouldn't say a lot, but a significant number of people are getting divorced. And there are really two kinds of divorces. There's the divorce where you're like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's go. How did I create this in my life? What is it in me that chose this? No blame, no blame. We love ourselves. It's okay. But this didn't work. So what do I need to see in order to have a new experience? So there's that version and to be solely focused on that and only occasionally looking at the other person. And then there's the divorce where they're like, well, he was kind of an asshole. (laughs) And then those people don't get to have a new experience necessarily, you know? So the question people need to be asking is always show me what to do, where, how do I need to grow? And to always, and I, that's not just in the divorce. That's in every conflict you have, every work situation. Because as soon as I start taking different choices, like more secure functioning choices, my life gets different. And he, they might still be an asshole. <laughs> but that wasn't my actual problem. My problem is, why was I so bonded to that asshole? Or why was I co-creating assholery in somebody because mm-hmm. I don't think what people do not get in their insecure functioning relationships how much it's egg beaters there's one going one direction and the other it's really like you could take that same asshole put him in a different situation and he's not going to be an asshole anymore right he'll just be what some, somebody else will be in grace with them you know, so it's like, how do I get into the more grace situation? And that's always gonna be common. That's always gonna be an inside job. You know,
0: right? Two individuals owning or taking their own personal responsibility and doing their own work.
1: Yeah, and knowing it's so easy to just go. If you were doing something different, I would feel different. And you know what? No, actually, usually somebody else can do something different. I feel slightly less. I go from an eight to a three, but I'm still me, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. What is something that you wish more people knew about you?
1: Oh, about me personally?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Nothing. I mean, <laughs> on the one hand, I'm a total open book. And on the other hand, I don't even, there. none of this is me. I think we all, when you get into whatever is your purpose and your mission, it's not you. You're just being you. And then the, the universe, the higher power, whatever you want to call it, is just working through you. I don't think I'm trying to do any of this. Like I said, when I worked in TV news for 16 years, this is what I was doing when I was supposed to be writing news, <laughs> <laughs> and having, having this conversation with you at my desk or in the bathroom. I was just doing this. This is what I do naturally. So I take almost zero credit whatever's happening I do know that I'm a place where I do catch insights around this stuff because I it's whatever it's my area of it's my little area of gift you know um, and then communicating is one of my areas of gift and you know guys this is whatever is your area of gift 10 10 minutes ago it was your area of challenge you know <laughs> so it's a it's all one and the same it's just, again, about going to the grace version, the grace version, you know, as opposed to the the earthbound version, which doesn't sparkle. But it's like the same exact thing, it's exact same thing, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, where can people find and support you?
1: You can find me on Instagram, at Tracy McMillan. I'm on Twitter. I'm on I know I'm on Facebook. I just don't ever go on Facebook because that's not really my neighborhood. But um, I'm on Instagram. I mean, I, I can't say I'm busy in my DMs or anything, but um, I'm very, very busy with a lot of things. I still have my whole Hollywood career going on um, as a writer. And that's really so much. That's what consumes most of my day when I'm not talking to people about their relationships.
0: Right. And we'll link all that in the show notes. Well, before we move on to the next few questions, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Tracy, and say thank you so much for your vulnerability, honesty, and the work that you do in every facet. I know that you are in a lot of different areas, um, between TV and writing and just being a relationship expert, but your work is changing people's lives and empowering people and helping them heal. And one thing that I really love about you that I've seen before our conversation, but really confirmed it during our conversation is that you are an ever-growing learner. And I think the best teachers are students most of the time and teachers sometimes, and you embody that so much.
1: So true. I mean, I'm saying like, yeah, I love to learn. That's it. That's it. It's about learning. And I'm not interested in teachers who aren't learning, you know? Me either. They're just not magnetizing to me. I'll just be like, oh, yeah. So that's great. Thank you so much for saying that.
0: Of course. What are three truths about life or love that you live by?
1: Um, well, it's going to come down to me. It's all about growing. And, you know, it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual path. You know, it's a spiritual path.
0: What is the worst relationship advice you have ever heard?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I tend to think for most women, friends with benefits is really dumb and doesn't get anybody anywhere they're really trying to go. You know, maybe it does for like four people, but for most people, I don't, I think that's not great relationship advice. I think most relationship advice sucks, to be honest. (laughs) You know, I just think it's better when people just give you their experience. And then you can sort of take what you like and leave the rest. I just don't know that it's a one size fits all. That's why I'm into the relationship science. It's like, just give me some facts and then allow me to freely and autonomously make choices based on that, those facts rather than advice. I don't really understand advice, even though people think I give it all the time. I'm like, no, no, I'm just telling you things that are relevant. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not telling you what to do. Do whatever you want.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, maybe a better way to phrase this next question is what is the most relevant piece of wisdom you have ever received or could
1: give? Oh my gosh. There's so many amazing things I've heard. I was just in a text chain the other day. Here's the thing that I would say is the most relevant. Bring the thing you think is missing. See yourself as the person who's here to bring whatever it is you want from that other person. You know, let's say the shorthand term would be you want secure functioning. You want secure attachment. Well, then bring it. You be the person that's putting that in there consistently. They will either come up and meet you or they will bounce out of your orbit because they will be like, ew, what's this? (laughs) So either way, you will get what you want you know, or you move closer to getting what you want. So I would say that to me is if the relation, if you want to be understood, bring understanding. If you want to be loved, bring love, you know, whatever it is that you want, bring that and you will experience more of it in the relationship or the person will go away.
0: Yes. I love that. That's something that was such a mind blowing experience for me is that when I started showing up more secure, literally everyone else in my life did as well. It was like all of a sudden I gave them permission to start being more open and honest.
1: Well, that's so true. And I also think that, so there's, I forget the name of the woman who wrote this book and don't ask me the title of it because I can't remember (laughs) that either. But there's a really amazing book on attachment. I think it might be Healing Our Attachment Wounds or something like that. My therapist had me read it. She says that we all have like an attachment system that is like latent, a secure attached system. It's latent. It's ready to be activated at any moment by a person who comes along and is operating on that level. So that goes to your point.
0: Wow. That's powerful. And lastly, what does love or love intently mean to you?
1: Well, loving and loving intently is about having an intention to practice loving loving as a practice, you know, as a yoga, that means it's a verb, not a feeling, the feeling comes and goes. It's like weather, you know, there can be a beautiful day or, but I'm not acting toward you based on how I feel. I'm acting on you based on my intention to create a certain kind of relationship. And that's why the science is so powerful to me. It's like, if I could, what the second most important thing is is understand how human beings are and what they do and what works and what doesn't work. And once you understand that and you start taking the actions that are aligned with that, you will get the good outcome. I mean, one way or the other, you'll either get somebody who wants to practice secure relationship with you or they will go away and you will be free to continue to find somebody who is interested in that. So I think the science is really important to being intentional And the actions are number one, you know, loving is a verb.